There's going to be two types of people in this room. Um, and, and as I explain these, you're going to be one of them. There's, there's truth people in the room and there's grace people in the room. Truth people in the room are, you see a situation and what's most important is accuracy and justice. Can I get an amen from the truth people? <laughs> there we go. Yeah. And now all the grace people are mad at you, just so that you know. Right? And then there's grace people in the room. Grace people are, you see a situation and what's most important is forgiveness and redemption. And all the grace people said... It, <laughs> Even louder, truth and grace. Here we go, right here, yeah. And, and so you're going to fit in one of those categories uh, today. And first time I saw this on display in my family was about 1985 when we were driving down Interstate 20 and a, a, a couple of kids threw a brick off of a bridge and my dad saw it and it hit our window in our car. And my dad, being a truth person, turned into Bo and Luke Duke. <laughs> And swerved the car and went off the exit ramp and, and chased them down the road and caught them. I was like, I've never seen my dad move. Caught them. Grabbed them. Drug them back to their house. And I'm like, what is going on with this nutty man? And now I've become said nutty man. Um, and, and, and did that. And then, you know, had them sitting down. The, mom, the Their parents came out and sat down. Then, then my mom is sitting there with them. And she's tapping them on the lap going, I really want the best for you. And I want you to do good in school. And I want y'all all to become famous. And, and I'm like, we're a nutty family. <laughs> we just captured people and then my mom is loving them. We got you to hug you. What are we doing? <laughs> um, all that to say this. Um, a lot of times our view of Jesus is shaped by where we are. If we're truth people, we think Jesus was just raw truth. Grace people, we think Jesus was raw grace. And the text today is going to answer the question, which one was Jesus? Was he a grace guy? Was he a truth guy? If you've ever wondered that, you've come to a great place today. Um, Our text today is going to tell us, and it's interesting, Luke, this is the first act of Jesus' ministry that Luke puts in, which is different than the other Gospels, but it was very important to Luke get off the bat. Is he a truth guy or grace guy? It's fascinating. Um, It's going to summarize the entire life of Christ in 16 verses through the gospel he preached and the suffering that he endured. So let's pray and then you can sit sit, and we'll be bathed in God's word. Well, so Jesus, knowing that or kind of thinking through that, that we're prone to take the God-man of the universe and morph him into our category, I, I pray today that we'll just set that aside. That we will come to the text and let the text speak to us and it'll morph us. And it, I, Yeah, I don't use that word lightly, Lord, that you will really bathe us this morning in your word. Your word would bathe us, is what we pray. And that we will come out of that gospel bathtub looking more like you if you would be gracious to do that work in our hearts we love you jesus um make us more like you it's your name we pray amen amen be seated so we're going to continue our journey through luke if you've not been with us we're going through a journey through the gospel of luke which is our habit to go straight through books of the bible at safe haven church and we've made it to luke chapter four 
And so we're going to be in verses 14 through 30-ish today. And so we're just going to pick right back up where we've left off. Jesus has just endured the temptation that was last week. And everything that we've got is on the website. And so please, if, if, if you will, go, go check it out and, and catch back up. And we'd love to have you on this journey through Scripture with us. And so Luke chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus has just been tempted, and here's what the text says. And Jesus returned from the, the temptation in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now watch this. This is fascinating. Just, just, this is fun. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And then verse 20 is ultimately going to tell us that he sits down to preach. I don't know. It's just, it's just fun. He stands up to read, then he sits down to preach. I'm not asking for a lazy boy up here. I'm just asking maybe we could get a lazy boy up here. Um, that'd be cool. And, and, and so, and then it, verse 17 goes on to say this, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. So let's recap. He's in Nazareth. He's in his hometown. He's where he was born. He goes to church, and he grabs a scroll And the scroll that he grabs is the scroll of Isaiah. And he's going to go to Isaiah chapter 42, Isaiah chapter 58, and Isaiah chapter 61. Maybe Psalm 164 in there. But nonetheless, he's going to grab this scroll. He's going to go through some certain passages in Isaiah, which means he was a great exegete. So (laughs) Jesus was an exegetical teacher. He's going straight through Isaiah, and he's looking through it, and he's going to unpack some things. And here's what Luke notes that Jesus reads aloud in um, Isaiah. The passage goes on to say this. He unrolls the scroll and found the place where it is written, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, and he sat down. This is the message that Jesus gives and Luke proclaims is the first message that that Jesus is noted as teaching aloud. So this is very noticeable. It's deliberate. This is why he puts in there deliberately to teach us something about Jesus and his message. And so that's what we're going to see today. What, what did Jesus say? And he's going to say something about four different things. And that's where we're going to track through this. What, what did Jesus say something about in this text? So first of all, I think we can see this. He says something about his power. He wants that to be notable. And, and so this is where it begins. Jesus started with saying... And you read this passage, a portion of Isaiah 42, uh, the spirit of the Lord has appointed me because he has anointed me. And right off the bat, Jesus wants people to know that he's walking in the power of the spirit. Now, I bring that as notable to us because life in the power of the flesh is entirely possible. We can live life in the power of the flesh, right? What does that look like? Um, Well, I do what I do. When I want to do it, how I want to do it, where I want to do it, and for my own glory. That is the life in the power of the flesh. And if we're not careful, we'll all fall into that, right? As a matter of fact, not only are we 
prone to fall into that, but that's just kind of our MO. That's our default to do what we want, when we want, how we want, for our own glory, blah, blah, blah. And that's, that's very possible. Now, here's the thing. You, this week, you could have chosen to live in the power of the flesh. And if you're like me, you, you may very well have done so. And if you do that, you can do some decent things. That's, you can do some pretty good stuff by living in the power of the flesh, can't you? You can make some good money. You can make some people laugh. You can make some people high-five you. You can, you can do some pretty good stuff. Um, but here's the deal. You'll never have peace if you live in the power of the flesh. Because we all were designed with a, with a I don't know how, another way to say this, with a, with a Godward itch. I hate itching. Drives me insane, but we all know what that's like. When, when you've got that itch that you just got to scratch, and Julie Beth tells me often <laughs> that sometimes she'll itch and she don't really know where to scratch it. Anybody else fall in that category? Really? Is that it? So she's not nutty. <laughs> like, that's a real thing? I don't get that. But nonetheless, we all know what it's like to itch, and we just need to scratch it. We were all created with that. But here's the deal. When we live in the power of the flesh, what I want, when I want, how I want, whatever, you'll never find that itch scratched. Because we were created to worship and glorify the Lord in all things. And so, fleshly living's possible, but you'll never find peace in that. And the flip side of that is, I think, what Jesus is saying is, listen, even as the God-man, I walked in the power of the Spirit. Jesus, if anybody, could have walked in the flesh because his flesh was perfect. But even Jesus said, listen, I'm here to walk in the power of the Spirit, which is opposite. So just like the power of the flesh is possible, living in the power of the Spirit is powerful. That's how we scratch that itch. And so it doesn't look like what do I want, when do I want it, how do I want it. It's what does God want? When does he want it? What does he want me to do with it? What is he trying to accomplish? And so, ultimately, this has given the Father glory in all things, and that alone scratches that Godward itch. If Jesus was dependent upon the Spirit, man, we need that too, don't we, church? So how do we cultivate that? The key is just simply this. It's intentionality. It's intentionally asking the Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you, and and primarily it comes through conversations, lobbing out conversations. I'm interacting with somebody else, and in the flesh, it's, what did Colin say? What did Jordan say? How do I want to react to that? How do I want to shape them or mold them for my favor or whatever? We do that all day long in conversations, whether it be work or family or whatever. It's different. The key is intentionality. I want to please the Lord, so Lord... I'm having this conversation, and I'm intentionally asking, Lord, what do you want me to say? Lord, how do you want me to say it? Lord, what are you trying to accomplish? Lord, carry my words and accomplish your glory. Man, wouldn't that change life if we walked around with that intentionality? Tone and tempo matter in conversations, doesn't it? Yeah, you're interacting with your kids or your spouse or your friends or even your conversation with yourself. And when you get real fast and loud and this, 
I don't want this. Tone and tempo are out the roof, and I can almost guarantee you we've come back to living for the flesh and warring for ourselves, haven't we? But when we speak with the Lord and we go, Lord, how, how can this conversation please you? Usually our tone and tempo change. Okay, Lord, you want me to say what? I don't know if I'm going to do that. <laughs> are you sure? And we walk in grace, and we walk in peace, and we walk in truth, and we walk in all these things in a way in which we're not asking the question, how does this satisfy my need to scratch my own itch? But Lord, what are you trying to accomplish in this conversation? It just changes things. And so Jesus says, listen, I am here to walk in the power of the Spirit in everything that I do. I think we can learn from that. So one, right off the bat, he says something about his power. I am Jesus the one who is walking in the power of the Spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm seeking Him. I'm seeking His guidance. But then He says something about what flows out of that, His ministry. So He says, He rolled up the scroll, He gave it back to the attendant, and He sat, sits down, and then He begins to teach. And here's what He says about His ministry. To proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, Liberty to the oppressed, the year of the Lord's favor. And so Jesus' ministry looks like a ministry of grand, glorious hope, doesn't it? This is what his ministry has got. Recap some of these. I'm going to give hope to the poor. So Jesus' ministry, if we're learning something, was that people's empty stomachs should not define them. He's He's going to speak to them. There's hope to you, people who are poor. He proclaims hope to captives. That their chains that hold them will not hold them forever. That their chains don't define them. He proclaims hope to the blind. That people's disabilities don't define them. He proclaims hope to the oppressed. That people who are rejected or find themselves under subjection. That that does not define them. His ministry was to walk into each and every situation and go, There is hope for you. That should be our ministry too. That's a grand, glorious ministry. That's good news, people. To walk around and say, there is hope for you in your situation. This is where he has. So the million dollar question. The million dollar hope question, maybe we could say, is this. Did Jesus' ministry mean that he came to fulfill hope in earthly needs, literally for the poor, captives, blind, and oppressed? Or... Did he come to fulfill hope in their ultimate spiritual needs? That spiritually they were poor, captives, blind, and oppressed, and he came to fix that. Which one did Jesus come to accomplish? The earthly needs or the spiritual needs? Yeah, yes. Yeah, we're like, I don't know. And typically what we do, our default is in my original question. If you are a raw truth person, when I ask you that question, you probably said spiritual. He came to meet the spiritual needs. If you're a grace person, your default reaction was probably real needs, spiritual needs, social justice. And we kind of swing that pendulum. And and that's just kind of our, our default. He came to accomplish both. He really did meet poor and captives and blind and oppressed. And he really did fulfill their needs, didn't he? But the hope of the gospel is he also came to fulfill every spiritual need that we have. 
So this is what his ministry looked like. So he says something about his power. I'm walking in the power of the Spirit. He says something about his ministry. I am here to proclaim hope and joy. And then he's going to say something about his identity. He goes on to say, to proclaim uh, all of these things and the year of the Lord's favor. And watch this. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And that's why Luke wants to kick off everything you know about Jesus' ministry with this act. The first thing you need to know is his identity. It's, I watched Johnny Carson growing up. You guys, you guys remember Johnny Carson? There's a lot of people in this church that have no clue who Johnny Carson is. And that's a shame. That's a shame. As a matter of fact, next Sunday, we're just going to show clips of Johnny Carson. So we're going to... No, no, no. We're not going to do that. Uh, maybe Sunday night. Um, but Johnny, the, the, that phrase that as soon as he comes on the stage was, here's Johnny. And that's what Jesus is doing. Luke says, the first thing you need to know is Jesus comes in and he says, listen, here's my power. Here's my message. But you need to know, I am not a prophet. I am the fulfillment of all prophecy. I'm everything. I'm not a prophet at all. But everything you have ever heard about the Messiah to come, I'm the one. I'm here. Here's Johnny. Maybe to put it in language we can understand a couple of months ago, or maybe even a month ago, there was the lottery. And I know a lot of you guys had that. You went and got you a lottery ticket that was, you know, for the $1.6 billion lottery or whatever. I know you did. I know you did. And if you won, I sure hope you tithe off of it. Uh, but, but here's the deal. That was this $1.6 billion lottery. And, and <laughs> also, I know there are probably some legalists in the room going, can he really talk about lotteries and all that kind of stuff? Welcome to Safe Haven. All right. $1.6 lottery. If, if you had a ticket and they read off the numbers and you had those matching numbers, in that moment you would probably erupt and go, I've got the ticket. (laughs) I've got it. I have the ticket. This moment's so much greater than that. They've been longing, looking for, we need the Messiah to come. And Jesus comes up and says, not only do I have $1.6 billion, but I own the cattle on every hill. The king has arrived and he's in the room. This is where Jesus begins his ministry. What a cool text we're in today, church. So he says, listen, here's my power. I'm led by the Spirit. Here's my ministry. It's a ministry of hope. And here's my identity. I'm the one that can pull this off because I'm the God-man you've been looking for. And then he says something, uh, or the text says something about his reception in this way. Now we're going to get to the truth and grace. Watch this. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the... Say it out loud. At the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son in marveling? So he offered the freedom of grace and he received overwhelming applause in this moment. So to all the grace people in the room, congrats. Jesus was in your camp. Give yourselves applause. Hey, he's on our side. Yes, he's on our side. But the text goes on. The text goes on, and then it says this. 
And then Jesus said to them, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we've heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them were cleansed. But only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all the synagogue were all of a sudden filled with what? With wrath. Filled with wrath. And they rose up and they drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. What a turn of events. And I'm going to be quite honest with you. I feel this every single week in sermon prep. I feel it. As I'm going through the text, you can pretty much feel, is this text going to be grace-based? And I pretty much know on those Sundays, everybody that day will kind of walk out and go, hey man, let's go. Yeah, hey, hey, high five. Hey, hey, woo. And then when you're studying the text and you know that it's going to be a very truth-based message, you can almost rest assured that everybody kind of walks by you going, okay, let's, what do we do? <laughs> let's, let's keep going. You feel that in moments of grace. You feel that lovey-dovey, hey, we're all in together. But you also feel in moments of truth that the pendulum could swing and everybody go, hey, Troy. We are going to take you to this cliff out here and throw you off of it, right? We feel this, and I feel this in this text. In other words, Jesus says, hey, listen to this. I'm the Messiah. Here's Johnny. But you're going to reject me. And not only you're going to reject me, but because of your rejection, I'm going to leave you out. You're not going to be a part of my divine mission. And I'll just go to the Gentiles. I told you, in 16 verses, Jesus unpacks all of his ministry. Both his message and the suffering that he's going to endure. You say, Troy, he didn't say that he was going to go to the Gentiles. No, he did. He absolutely did. That was the illustrations used. He says, listen, in the days of Elijah, Elijah was there for the nation of Israel But he didn't help any of them. He walked over here to this Gentile lady and he served her. Same thing with Elisha. Elisha was there in the midst of Israel. And he didn't serve. And he walked over to this one leper who was a Gentile. And Jesus says, I'm here for grace and hope and peace. For the blind, oppressed, poor, I am here. And you'll reject me and here's the truth. If you reject me, I'll just bypass and go to the Gentile who accepts me. It's a crazy, radical message, church. What a text! Isn't this a cool text? Man, I hope you love this text. It's so good, and it's also God's Word. But here's the deal. He offered freedom of grace, and they received him with overwhelming applause. He demanded the bondage of truth that he alone is the Savior, and he received terrifying claws. Grace, 
truth. Applause, claws, hugs, throw you off a cliff. You feel that? And on display really is the full measure of Christ's ministry before us. There is a grace of social justice. In social justice, you'll always receive, you'll usually, you'll always receive smiles and applause in social justice. When you feed people, help people, do the things, it's just what happens. Everybody's like, yeah, we're all together. And I'm going to say this because I'm, I think we need to hear it. There's a word being thrown out there a lot. And people are throwing this term out. It's called a, a safe person or a safe place. You guys have heard this. You're, there's even buttons. People wear buttons. I'm a safe person. You know, and, and, and basically it means it doesn't matter what you believe, what you, what you think, whatever. I'm, I'm here for you. I'm a, I'm a safe person. It's this, it's this language. I want to I be... It's pendulum left or right. Pick a pendulum side. It's a warped pendulum. It, it, it says basically this. I'll affirm you no matter what. And so the response is, you are a safe person, and you're deemed a safe person if you will affirm. And you're a safe person if you'll provide. And you're a safe person if you will overlook an offense. And you're a safe person if you benefit that other person. You are safe, 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 safe. Everybody else, unsafe. Which is why many of you guys have been in somebody's safe camp... But the moment that you proclaim truth to them, what happened? They shove you to this side and say, you are no longer safe to me. Because you spoke truth. Get that? And so Jesus experiences this. And so we see the grace of social justice, but we also see the truth of exclusivity. And there is nothing more exclusive than Jesus Christ. Which is why he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life, and no one comes to me, comes to the Father apart from me. He's exclusive. He's intolerant. And so there's this truth. And in truth, you'll receive the snarls and the claws. You will be deemed unsafe if you are a person who leaves someone out. You'll be deemed unsafe if you point out truth. You'll be deemed unsafe if you reject other people's narrative. That they're trying to spawn. You will be deemed unsafe. And my whole point in bringing that out is this, church. There's no reason to believe that your ministry will be any different than Jesus' ministry if you walk in the pendulum of grace and truth, balanced sinner. When you're gracious, people will hug you. When you speak truth, people will go, ooh, back up. I need another safe friend to go to who will hug me. And they'll walk away. Don't expect any different. It's the reality. So in this text, we're seeing Jesus going, listen, here I am the God man. I walk in the Holy Spirit's power. Um, I, my identity is, is, is certainly the one who's the Messiah. This is my ministry to, to bring hope. And in his reception, we learn the balance and the response of what happens when we walk a balanced pendulum life centered on grace and truth. Now, I bring that up to say this, and this is our application point. There's a danger in this pendulum swinging. 
And there's a danger of warring for what our nature is by default. I'm a grace person, and by that I'm not saying I'm a grace person. Julie Beth is a grace person. I'm a truth person. That creates quite a war in our house quite a lot of times. Anybody else get an amen for that? All right. <laughs> it creates quite a, a cloud of, of, of storms and tornadoes. <clears throat> but here's the danger if we ride a pendulum one way or the other. The danger is it'll cause you to focus on your desire to be liked by man rather than just obeying the Lord and whatever he's saying. You'll cave to manipulation. In other words, you're safe to me. Be the safe place, right? In other words, you affirm me, you benefit me, we're friends. Okay, that's fine. I don't want to lose your friendship, so I'll just speak grace. There's a danger there. You'll get manipulated, and perhaps you'll manipulate others with the same thing. I'll be your friend if. And it doesn't just start in adulthood. Where does it start at? Back in the playground. Right? I'll be your best friend if you give me the ball. You don't have to teach people this. This starts way back when. and It's manipulation. That's a danger. And you'll also cave to fear. You don't love me if you don't. We're not close anymore. And they'll draw away. And you'll cave because I want to be liked by man rather than just applauded by the Father for obedience. Right? And then the truth people. You'll just become a bulldozer. Right? You'll run over everybody in your path. Because it's this. Wow, we got kids in here today. I don't care. (laughs) I don't care. I will run flat over you. There's a danger in that. There's a danger in that. Because the Lord may be calling the people of truth to say, hey, die to yourself and love that person in front of you, even if you don't want to. And we go, but Jesus, look at my tires and bulldozer. (laughs) Right? That's the danger. Now, here's the beauty, and we'll wrap it up. The beauty is, if we don't cave to our tendencies and just be the balance of grace and truth, always asking the question, Lord, what do you want me to say in this moment? What do you want me to do in this moment? The beauty is, your desire will not be to please man. It'll be to please the Lord. And when you're desirous to do that, and you maintain that balance, you'll be a person of grace sometimes, and a person of truth sometimes, but you'll always be obedient. And the Lord is far more concerned with our lives that we're obedient rather than that we're friends to everybody. He's looking at our hearts. Will you be obedient? He's glorified when we model grace and truth as he sees fit to walk and guide us. And he brings about good in our modeling of grace and truth. It's a fascinating passage. So the application is this. In what areas is God speaking to you about truth and grace today? Like, what's he saying to you? As the band comes back up. Is he saying, hey, you need to walk in more grace towards your kids. You need to walk in more grace towards your spouse. Grace towards yourself. Some of you are so harsh on yourself that there's no room for Christ. Like, you just... 
Like, you don't need anybody else to be truthful to you because you bash your own self all day long. Maybe you need to be gracious to yourself and apply the gospel to yourself. Maybe your neighbor, the one that you hobby with, the one that you're, heck, maybe it's your church. Maybe your parents. I don't know. I'm not going to try to be your Holy Spirit, but I trust he's speaking to all of us. And maybe it's the Lord wants you to be more truthful. Truthful to your kids, spouse, self, co-workers, neighbor, hobbies, church, parents. Just like some of you (laughs) beat yourself up all day long, some of you, hmm, the majority of us, are way too gracious with ourselves, aren't we? Way too gracious. And maybe we need to speak truth into, maybe the Lord's trying to speak truth into us. We justify everything. And the Lord goes, hey, are you going to honor me with your life? And everything you say and do, maybe it's truth. And then finally, he says something about his majesty. And I know I said finally, and Andrew got nervous. He was like, oh, no, here we are again. He's about to keep going. (laughs) He was a truth person just then. Did you see that? And finally, he says something about his majesty. They tried to throw him off the cliff, and he passed through their midst and went away. Isn't that incredible? It's a cool moment in the scriptures. Um, It's one of those stunned silence moments, and you're like, what happened? Who knows? Who knows? It's one of those moments we walk away going, golly, there's nobody like Jesus. They tried to throw him off a cliff, and he just disappeared in their midst. What a majestic Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, what a great text. And and so applicable. We, We all feel that pendulum swing. Truth, grace, truth, grace. Jesus, we see that you were incredibly gracious. You walked in the power of the Spirit proclaiming hope. Hope to the poor, the blind, the captive, the oppressed. Relentless grace. But also a stalwart of truth. I'm the Messiah, and you'll reject me, demanding signs and not accepting the fact that I'm your Savior. And so, Lord, I I pray today, the pendulum of grace and truth, that we will be always seeking to obey you, no matter, and and not even really, well, not even, not really, Lord, I don't know what I'm saying, not, God, we don't need to be influenced by applause or claws. Teach us to be people who are only influenced with how you are leading and guiding in our lives for your glory and ultimately our good. Use this text to make us more like Jesus.